Sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with Dr. Lolly Mansi. Hi, I'm Dr. Lolly, and you're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You. I'm an entrepreneur and a lecturer in UCD's Innovation Academy, and I teach entrepreneurship, innovation, and creativity. And I believe that entrepreneurs are both born and made. In this series, we won't be talking to the Elon Musks and the Richard Bransons of this world. We'll be talking to people just like you. Hi, everybody. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with me, Dr. Lolly. And this is our New Year's edition. Of course, we're going out now live and loud into February. I hope your winter's okay. My guest today is the amazing Shawnee McCleary. Shawnee, welcome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so delighted. I've been trying to get you in here for a little while now. And I know we had some scheduling issues because January is bonkers at the moment, right? It's absolutely jam-packed. Yeah, January is getting a little bit busier every year, I'm noticing. I don't know yeah. if it's weather or, yeah, just working on the business, working in the business and different things. But um, yeah, it's been, it was pretty crazy. Did it's you take over a break now, over God. the Christmas period? Yeah, I actually took three full weeks off for the first time as well. First time ever? On that time of year. Very and it's well great. Done. One thing I would change next year is probably not to completely, completely take it off and just keep on top of wee bits <laughs> Did you as come you back go. to an avalanche? You're just coming back to yeah. lots of little, everything from, yeah, paying bills, getting paid, emails, inquiries. I often think that this is a bit of a misnomer. I'd love to take time off like that and be sort of, you know, digital detox. But then at the same time, you need an assistant to deal with all of the stuff. So you're not coming back to three weeks worth of stuff to deal with on the first Monday, right? Yeah, no, big time. I suppose a lot of personal stuff as well that you're dealing with. There's only so much help you can get, you know, people working with me as well. But um, yeah, look, lesson learned. And and how do you feel after your three week break? Oh, it felt great now, to be fair. And then you're coming back, hitting the ground running just with ideas and... Exactly right. Yeah, just yeah, seeing yeah, things yeah. with fresh eyes again, you know. Most of us hit the Christmas period a little bit burnt out, you know, and, and just it's it's, tar- it's tough. It is really tough. Yeah. And definitely. things are accelerating and then you've got all the kind of madness. So I like kind of, most, I used to hate February, but now I'm kind of like easing into it to go, do you know what? It's nearly spring. It's quick. It's short. It's a short <laughs> it's month. The shortest month. January's like 100 days long in. and then February's. And of course, our special shout out to St. Bridget's. <laughs> Finally, yeah. our first female Saints Day this year. Yeah. That's this weekend. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. It's this that's Monday. Next yeah. Monday, yeah, so the six. I'm not complaining about that. Exactly right. So the listeners will be hearing this uh, on this week, and then they'll be leaning into their long weekend. But uh, I can't get enough of these long weekends. So yeah. good. So good. So listen, let's go right back. So I like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and um, I love Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO. I'm listening to that at the moment. He's so insightful and empathetic. So um, it's the second time I've done this. So apologies again, Stephen, but um, if you're listening, but I like to steal his first entrance thought, which is, what do we need to know about you, Shawnee, as a child that now explains what you're currently oh, doing? I, yeah, I, I, just, I wasn't I, expecting that, but I've just started. It's such a good yeah, question. He's a big listener of his show as well. So tell us about Little Shawnee and what was it in Little Shawnee that now leads to you being doing what you're currently doing? And then we'll we'll delve into what you're actually doing. Yeah, well, I'm from Monaghan and yeah. my earliest memories growing up, we came from like a single parent kind of household, five kids and... Shout out to mum. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> um, just, I suppose, coming from a poor council estate background, yeah. you were definitely, personally, anyway, born with that bit of a hustle in you, you know? Yeah. And... Survival. I remember we kind of moved out of the housing estate we were brought up in and moved into a, like a slightly fancier housing estate and the first thing I wanted to do was set up a car wash business like I right. just seen like these people have more money around here like you know and uh, set up the car what wash age business you know, this stage? Uh, 31 now so no, that was I mean, sorry, 21 that... years ago so okay, 10, 10 yeah, and um, 9 or 10 
and that was the first thought like before you even unpacked the bags your like brothers and sisters or, doing you know. that kind of stuff um, so they were older and at the, not traditionally like they didn't really have that entrepreneurial thing going but now ironically in the last few years every sibling has basically set up some sort of yeah. also have an older sister who's been on to set up like a Dexter Beef yeah, um, cool. direct to consumer model of the next sister down from her then has set up Master of Peace which is kind of drink and draw classes um, for private parties but also social enterprises and stuff like yeah. that as well um, Drink and Draw one. that's great I mean I remember painting in Prosecco and it was huge a couple yeah, of years yeah. back before COVID and yeah. Sinead was actually doing that abroad she travelled like myself had the itch for the old travel and started that in Hong Kong yeah. and with lockdown ended up having to move back to Ireland that was the decision they made and continued it here so um, yeah a lot of entrepreneurial traits emerging from the and, family um, what was it that led into this I mean so you know you started a car wash but like you know what was what was mom doing all this time and she's surviving and raising you yeah she was kind of I suppose keeping she's leading the, the way house. and also looking back side hustling a bit as well right. she would have her own kind of ironing business and we side hustle and stuff like that as well you yeah know? so the gen- but, um, you're seeing the generate that her generating yeah. income it takes and a bit of hindsight as well for me yeah. it was the financial freedom piece like you know being right. able to not rely on anyone I think there's probably a few nuggets where you get that first 10 or 20 quid handed to you for I remember people putting up fences around the estate like because it was a new newly built yeah. kind of housing estate and um, people put up fences and then one guy painting the fence and the rest of them weren't painted I was like these people need their fences painted <laughs> not a good painter at all but that didn't matter yeah. Um, so yeah that kind of hustle financial freedom yeah. independence and then when that kind of leads into secondary school you know people having lunch money and having these things to go and do activities and holidays and stuff like that so yeah the itch definitely set in at that stage you know and nothing else really interested me outside of that like as in not I played sport a bit and stuff but I mean nothing gives you that kind of thrill of and still today like you know it's the reason we do what we do I suppose but um, yeah so that kind of independence bit the hustle um, Do you remember what you did with the first money you made? You spent it on more <laughs> invested it. Okay, you invested back it. Amazing. I'm surprised you didn't back then, 20 quid on sweets. <laughs> uh, started secondary school when I was 12 or whatever. And yeah. the school, I was waiting on the, I went to a secondary Irish school, but it was postponed by opening for a year. So I had to go to this old boys school, a thousand guys in a school. Right. Grew up in a house full of women and hated it. Hated <laughs> yeah. every minute of it. So I used to, you got 12 euro a week bus money. I think the rest of it was subsidised or something, but I remember every week getting the 12 euro yeah. and walking to school and on the way by you go to the bonbon shop and I'd be in hustling with, they call him Jerry Bonbon. Like, Jerry, what are you <laughs> going to give me for 10 euro this week? Like, And he'd give me boxes of these little bars and lollipops and all this kind yeah. of stuff that you would then... In. Jerry Bonbon. The locker was turned into Fabulous. a wee shop like at one stage, yeah, you know, yeah, selling. Yeah. And then... And the school never caught on? No, it was just a little, kind of was harmless, obviously, looking yeah, back. But okay. you turn 12 into 30 or 40 quid and then... It became that's big money. The bus money could stay in the envelope and build up a little bit all of a sudden. Like, yeah, and, right. And and you're getting fit. Funny, there was no real telling anyone. Like no one really cared at the time, I suppose. Right. But it was just a thing. You were walking. Now, to be fair, three or four days a week, I'd chance it and just jump on the bus and yeah, nothing, yeah. you know. So it wasn't like the completely, you know, walking to school in the rain and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah so that kind of thing and realizing that that thirty euro. If I reinvest that, that could become, you know, it just compound over time. Yeah, brilliant. And yeah, that led into, oh, look, everything from friends, parents going on holidays, getting them to bring home 
cartons of cigarettes <laughs> like we're from Monaghan it's a bandit country there like you know I never got into laundering diesel now but um, look who knows what could happen yeah Early I don't days. even want to ask you what age you were when you were peddling illegal cigarettes yeah 12 13 so um, but I yeah just it. that kind of thing and look everything it kind of transfers to everything you do throughout the years yeah, on sure. today's stuff you know so um, no that's early memories of that kind of thing um, and I suppose like coming a lot of people relate to this like you're coming from the kind of poverty background, like you know, you're not complete on the bread line completely. Like, yeah, you're I mean. disadvantaged. You're yeah, just yeah. seeing, yeah, yeah the opportunities yeah. that are out there. So, um, yeah, was there was there a sense in you? And we may only know this retrospectively, looking back. But was there a sense in in you of I'm getting out of here, or was it just a sense of you know, and I'm I can take I can take the family with me, or were you on your own journey, or? Yeah, it was never like I want to get out of here and go to New York or anything yeah. at that stage. It was just kind of I want to not have to rely on anyone else, like, you know. Yeah. Because it was a hassle trying to get money for things, you know, because it wasn't there. So it was just that. Yeah. And um, yeah, and that's, yeah, just that, that feeling does stick with you. Just kind of like, right, I, I don't have to worry about anyone else. If worst case scenario, I'll have my own means of getting somewhere, you know. So. Is now that, yeah, and we'll jump on in a minute to all the things that you're creating and working on, but is there a sense in you that that, do you think that that will ever end, that sense of, of, of needing to make more in terms of sort of you're still remove, you're still getting as far away from where you started as you can, not with any judgment, but just you keep removing yourself time over time over time? Yeah, definitely for me in the last few years, probably it's become less about like a financial, like a monetary amount of money yes. or anything like that, just more, it's time. Like you're just, the more effort you put in, in the short term, the more time you're freeing up. And I love that, yeah. I know it's very cliche, like, but you're yeah, not no, really you're working for money, right. you're working for time and not everyone can do yeah, no, that. Absolutely. But uh, now I've got three kids, three toddlers, four, two and one. Incredible. So your goal is to kind of, like the month of December, I hustled, went hard. Um, you know, we were catering different events everywhere. I was jumping in, cooking myself. We were selling food trucks, branding food trucks, leasing them out. You're getting your hands dirty, but then you're taking three full weeks off or three and a half weeks without having right. to think about that. And that's worth every penny. And at the same time now, we're working hard in December, but I'm still not yeah. away 15 hours a day or anything, you know. So I'm lucky in that regard. Like It's, it's the great conundrum, isn't it? Because... As entrepreneurs, what we do is we build and then we build and create and then we keep creating and then we have this almost sort of like obsession where we can't stop creating. Uh, very many of us that are serial entrepreneurs that sort of, you just, <laughs> it's like the, the kid in the sixth sense, like I see dead people, I see businesses. I'm just like, I know you're the same. I just see opportunities all over the yeah. place. And so it's a kind of mania sometimes. So it's interesting that we talk about time because you're absolutely right. There does come a point with the happiness index research shows us that we get to a certain point where we don't glean pleasure from uh, you know, it, it's around the 70,000 euro mark. After that, your happiness does not increase as your wealth increases. So, um, and in fact, actually, once you get up over 100,000, actually, you'll, you'll, your happiness can start to dip for very many reasons of stress yeah. and everything else. So that's that's interesting research. But um, on, the, on the flip side of that, if what we're buying is time, because it's the one thing that is unobtainable to us, also this mania of creating businesses is taking our time from us. And so how are you navigating that? Great advice I got after moving back to Ireland actually five years ago was, you know, I kind of knew what I was good at. Like I've always been good with people. I love dealing with people all the time. My energy comes from other people's energy, right? Yeah. And then the street food thing has been food in general since I was a kid, but street food became this kind of obsession for me, right? So when I moved home, I had a couple of business mentors and I would bounce ideas off them. And the same advice was coming from these two people that I'd never met. Like, right. 
they're all good ideas, right? But stick to this little circle here, what you know. So yeah. one example, a sensory deprivation tank, right? Have you ever tried one? A flotation tank. Oh, yeah. Ever, yeah, oh yeah, my God. Really like I, I didn't like it. I loved it. Like I was obsessed <laughs> with it. I had them regularly in Australia. But my first idea moving back here, set up a food truck that was running only a few months into that run and reasonably smoothly, I was like, right, going to this business mentor. So here's my next idea. I'm going to import 48 of these, like spend more, <laughs> tanks. five times my life savings <laughs> and set up this franchise of flotation tanks and had so much energy for it. And he actually went away and tried one for the first time and came back and he says, you know what, actually, that's a brilliant. And this guy would be really, yeah, for different reasons, very big, well connected in the sports scene, right? Yeah. That's a brilliant idea. I didn't even know they existed. Right. Don't do it though, because you need to focus on. Yeah. So let's say instead of importing these sensory deprivation tanks, why not import something that ties into what you're doing? And yeah. that would later actually lead into what is now street school, like importing. We were importing trailers and catering equipment and menu right. pavement boards and stuff. But anyway, that one day in particular, like talking to these two different mentors, yeah. you're brilliant business idea it could be but and focus on what you're so everything I do whether like we've multiple different things going on now yeah. you know but they all tie back into food street food people startups scale ups you know and so it's an ecosystem so you're, not, you're developing an ecosystem yeah you yeah. don't need then five different networks in all different industries you're using the Absolutely same circle right. and the same yeah. network and just kind of leveraging that a lot you know so if I had been um, your mentor yeah. and you'd come to me with the flotation tanks, the, the red flag for me would have been not necessarily the flotation tanks, but um, borrowing more than you had <laughs> to yeah. set up the business. Because that was... again, I know that you're a big fan of the sort of agile, lean, lean startup as yeah. my sort of the word bootstrapping. You know, you you go as minimal as you possibly can, and you yeah. test the market before you put any kind of money in, and and don't go into debt with your own money. <laughs> Especially something like looking back, I have no clue who's going to fix these things. Like I've no idea, you know. Well, where but, are they um, even going to be? Yeah. It was, oh, I had the whole business. I'm going to target health centers, leisure centers, hotels. Okay. And all. But anyway, forget about that idea. Um, <laughs> still a, not enough people doing that in Ireland, I think. But anyway, so stick to what you know. And that was kind of people, street food, yeah. startups. First of all, focus on your own business that you just set up there, Sean, three or four months ago. Yeah. Know, because that was still very, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even have a driving license like and I was running a food truck business. So let, let's let's go back um, to the start of yeah. all this because um, we're we're lashing ahead there. Um, so you were traveling. Um, how long were you traveling and for? And just a wee step before that, actually, when I when it came to third level education and stuff, right? I was working from thirteen onwards in like chip fan a chip fan for a guy, and then that went on okay, for three years cool. on the side, weekends, summers, bank or um, Easter holidays, all that kind of thing. Is that someone that you knew through the family or just how did that come about? No, just, just straight up child labour, a child <laughs> slave, slave labour. Um, yeah, just a friend of a friend was working there at the time. He was the same age as me and I was like, look, this guy's hiring, you know, basically kids so I can pay him with good cash. So I was, I was straight How in. much were you making? Oh God, back then it was good money, like to yeah. be honest. Um, I used to work 12 at midnight to 4am on a Friday outside oh nightclub <laughs> and Saturday you'd work from 12 midnight to 4am and then it gets worse at 4am you went straight to Dublin yeah. looking back is pretty you know you couldn't get away with it now uh, straight are to Dublin are you even 16 at this stage? no no 14 oh like, my God. Uh, sleep for 4 hours in the back of the, the cab of the okay. lorry and then you wake up and do a 12 hour shift outside Croke Park you know oh and gosh. then you're home on a Sunday night but you're coming home with 150-200 quid cash at 14 yeah and right 
I just seen that as a way to grow this little empire or whatever it was on the side. So no, it was brilliant. Are you and throwing mammy a few quid or how's it working? Oh yeah, you're getting the housekeeping oh, yeah. was being paid oh, yeah, at good. a young age. Good I was wasn't good too man. happy about it now, but look, now that I, I see, <laughs> that's the proper yeah. order though. That's the proper so, order. Um, oh, it does. And you're still you're still going yeah. to school. You're getting home at. Yeah, you're getting home on a Sunday night, stinking of burgers. Wow. An hour in the shower, literally. I and actually still can't, I can't eat chips. See, that's the age you can afford to get the bus now and... Oh, that's true, that's true, <laughs> and that's hustle. true. But um, You're it was, it looking sides. back now with hindsight, and I don't really think about it that much, but um, you're seeing the potential, like the volume of food being put out here, right? You're talking right. 12, 15,000 euros a day, like in a busy day, yeah. right? But the food was not great yeah. right it was just and look it was normal at the time but everything's frozen very low quality imported Cheap not great chips. right yeah. but seeing just kind of this seed was planted like imagine you could do this at this scale but actually put out food that you weren't trying to turn your back away from the customers handing out like you know and yeah. Um, yeah. that was a big part of it I went on then from there great few years to be fair I'll write a book about it someday Diaries of a Chip Fan Kid like I always <laughs> talk about that but anyway, went on to work in a hotel then, fifth, 16 maybe, doing desserts and starters. And again, learning a lot okay. about how to feed people at scale and volume. And Are you working as an apprentice, an assistant? What, just what kind this? of, yeah, weekends, yeah, summers yeah, okay. and everything, like an apprentice chef. Yeah, yeah. Um, then when no one else seemed to care, I was overlooking at the invoices. Like I'd always like to see how much are they paying for this yeah. 18 slice cheesecake? You know, how much are they selling for? How much yeah. profit are they making here? Cheese, yeah. you know, and then... Um, just, yeah, so things like that, just looking at costings and stuff. And at the time, you don't think of all these words. You're just thinking of, what are they spending here? How much is that costing? Like, you know, how much are they selling for? So um, by 17, I was mad into food and knew that I could make a living out of it. Yeah. But then the old CAO pops up and you have to go to college. Well, you don't right. have to, but... So I knew at the time, and there was people nearly trying to talk me out of going to college because, look, you've got a nice wee handy job in a kitchen. Yeah. You could do culinary arts, but you're going to end up with the same job in the kitchen you know Yeah, yeah. so I decided to go on and do I knew I wanted to go to Sligo I'm a partner Nikita wanted to go to Sligo at the time I was like right well, I go to Sligo let's see just threw a dart basically at the CEO <laughs> form decided to do a degree in archaeology for a few years like so that's okay. what I did in, a, in third level <laughs> uh, archaeological sciences and yeah. every chance I got everything came back to food so like right. th- um, projects thesis is on the ancient food technologies the right. slow cooking whole animals under the ground in the same style around the world five six thousand years ago so yeah. it was kind of like a running joke within the class you know the class which started with 40 people and by the end of it I think there was about 10 of us Yeah, it's not the most exciting but again you hang, it's just finding what you do enjoy about it and for me it was like sitting through geology and all this stuff was absolutely it was like it's yeah. horrific what yeah. the days we were out excavating sites. I actually really enjoyed it. You know, it's hands-on. But everything, all the projects came back to food. So yeah, I would be excavating on a site as a second or third year project and going straight from there to work in a wee kitchen making paninis after it or something like that, you know. So it was, yeah. it was pretty grim. But um, yeah, so that always shocks people. They're like, so what did you do? You know, culinary arts or business? <laughs> so I'm like, archaeology, like, you know. But um, the good thing I would say to people, and I know that third level education isn't everything and most yeah. a lot of six actually a lot you'd say nearly most of the well-known successful entrepreneurs never went near third level although yes. there is a lot of everything you learn whether it's in archaeology or in jam making course in, yeah. there's a jam making course somewhere I think in Letterkenny you only need five <laughs> points to get into 
maybe that's an urban legend but uh, all the skills you're learning are transferable yeah. you're learning to work in a group you're learning to communicate talk to a you know 110% and I'd say 80% of what you're learning is I really think as well it's the know. universe just reinforcing for you the direction that it, it needed you to go in but yeah, anyway we're yeah. going to we're going to take a short break because yeah. uh, I want to come back and I want to I want to move on from from archaeology and sort of food production in the ancient times to to tacos yeah <laughs> We we'll take you. a short break and we see you after. Ninety three point nine, Dublin South FM. Welcome back. So the last thing we were talking about is archaeology, but um, I share the whole chip thing, chip van thing, because uh, I worked. One of my first jobs was working in Kodak Film Factory in Harrow on the Hill in the UK, and um, I had failed my A levels because uh, I just had taken my eye off the ball and had become social secretary of my sixth form college and just partied. And so instead of getting three A's. That I was predicted because I'm a horrendous overachiever. I got uh, two C's and a D, so I was absolutely mortified. Couldn't do what I wanted to do at university, so got a job and retook them. So the job I took was making chips from 11 o'clock at night till 11 o'clock in the morning. And I used to work for the canteen workers who were producing the film when the days when you know film was actually developed, you know, in, yeah, the, in, yeah. the, in the camera factories. And uh, I still to this day struggle with the smell of chips because <laughs> I used to go home like a human chip. Yeah. How, how do you feel about and the these whole days with the food trucks like one of my only rules <laughs> is I might end up breaking it someday but um, you know no we don't have any deep fryers yeah really yeah. The, it's a particular smell isn't it it is it lingers it that's all linger. I'm saying flashbacks to 14 like you know, surely take me back to um, travelling so already like so okay the world the universe is saying to you food 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 right and then you've amassed a bit of cash uh, you're now you know you've got some skills and then you went off travelling yeah, so Where'd you go? The week of finishing college, basically, I think it was May 2012 or 13. Um, we had a wedding to go to in New York, right? So my plan was go to New York, see what it's like, get a job in a kitchen, Yeah, right? But you soon realize over there, I think I was there on a Wednesday and by like the Friday, I was in a bar having a few pints and I talked to the, an Irishman owned it, you know, what's the chances of getting a job in the kitchen here, you know? He said... Why? What's your food background? And I kind of gave him a quick rundown. He says, "Did you ever work in a bar before?" And I said, "Ah, yeah, a little bit. Like you know, obviously never had <laughs> ever." Um, but he says, "I'll be honest with you, the people that work in the kitchen here get about ten to twelve dollars an hour, right? Yeah. So you'd be putting in sixty hours a week, getting six hundred dollars, and then you have to pay taxes and stuff. You know." He said, "If you work in a bar here, you could take in four to six hundred dollars a night." Yeah. I was just like, did I say I worked in a you know, kitchen? Forget about, <laughs> I meant the bar. Forget about that idea. Yeah. And um, that guy offered me a job right. and Seamus in, in Moriarty's bar in New York. But he said, can you start tomorrow night? And because I'm away and it's just going to be one bartender here, so he needs help. And there's a hundred golfers coming in and it's all free. It's all paid for. Okay, yeah. And I've been led to PowerPoint. <laughs> I, yeah, you could bluff my way through a lot of things at this stage where I was like, oh God. And yeah, no, I showed up the next day, got the job, winged it used yeah. iPads to Google cocktail recipes and did the whole thing but Fabulous. at the end of that one night I was like this is it yeah, I just found going to make a fortune yeah the, you know and so the food thing kind of took a back seat for a year and it was just that whole love and bounce the more you put into people and customer service out yeah. there the more you're getting back and it was that kind of reward that just kept driving me you know yeah yeah um, so we did things like held Arthur Guinness Day for the first time over in, in Woodlawn oh, cool. in New York I think there's like 30,000 mostly illegal Irish people yes. in, over there. They call it Spudlon. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was great. Great time over there. And again, just making a nice bit of cash to save up and kind of now starting to plan what's the next yeah. step. So, um, 
Yeah, a year bartending in New York. Went to New Zealand then, where I still have a sister over there. And spent two and a half years in New Zealand. And again, went straight in, bluffing, got a really good job at a kitchen over there, where my brother-in-law, who's even a bigger bluffer than I am, was the head chef at this stage. He left here <laughs> a carpenter. He's now the head chef of a 200-seater um, hotel restaurant right. in the ski fields of New Zealand. So we had a ball there for two and a half years. But I am a terrible employee, really, I suppose, is the bottom line. I just couldn't put... You kind of get bored a few months in. I'm like, you know, we could do yeah. something else and do specials and the menu is a bit flat and boring. And, you know, so we kind of design new menu ideas and stuff. Yeah. But um, there's very little leverage. When things are working smoothly in a place, they don't really... Would I be right in thinking that when things become established for you, you need to move on to something new? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Which isn't a great thing. Feels very familiar. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's everything was going smoothly. Great job, free ski passes, free ski gear, everything's amazing. And then I took on another side job in another hotel, restaurant. You know, but again, just kind of just to see what was working well there and stuff, you know. Um, but New Zealand was great. Learned a lot. I suppose the big takeaway is New Zealand is this, the pace of life is very yeah. relaxing. Um, the thought of having kids at that stage was like a million miles away. But right. watching kids growing up over there, I have a nephew growing up there at the minute, like the lifestyle is just amazing. You know, yeah. no one's really overworked. If you want to take two weeks off to go skiing, no one's really going to say anything to you, you know. So, um, yeah, the pace of life, everything's quite chill. And also the produce. Realised yes. over there, we have such good produce back in Ireland as well. No one really, I don't know, I didn't really put all the pieces together back then. But, um, yeah, just think Well, the jigsaw was amassing somewhere behind the scenes, you know. Yeah, all the different pieces little, were starting to interlock. Yeah, yeah and it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hindsight's a great thing now. You can look back and see a lot of these yeah. little moments. But, um New Zealand was great, great work-life balance and we we're keeping quite fit and everything as well, which is always very important and um, keep you out of trouble. And then the pace of life is so slow over there. <laughs> next. They were like, next. <laughs> so in Melbourne then we were like, yeah. everyone was meet, meeting us over there. A lot of people, sorry, we met over there had either been coming from Australia or planning to go there and I was always like, no, I don't want to go to Australia. It's going to be just full of Irish people and, you know, which is great. <laughs> as but opposed I mean, to New York. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. I was like, after being in New York, yeah, I yeah, want to kind right. of just experience yeah. something a bit different. So, uh, yeah. left New Zealand, went to Southeast Asia for a while as well, a few months there. Um, but needed that adrenaline of city life again, something just yeah. a bit more fast paced and, yeah, I moved to Melbourne then for a year and, it's becoming a bit of a thing now, but I bluffed my way into this really sweet job in a restaurant there as well in St. <laughs> I Kilda. do see a pattern emerging. <laughs> and I remember the trial, the trial, uh, made me do a trial shift and I was just slicing this big massive Turkish bread up, you know, but I chatted, I think I chatted to him that much. He was just like, you can just take the job, it's okay, you know. So <laughs> I, I really loved the job over there, worked in the Pelican in St. Kilda Beach for a year. What a spot. But yeah. then when everything's running real smoothly, you're like, it's you know what, to move there's on. room for something else in here. So I looked up an ad on Gumtree and seen this guy hiring for his food truck, right? Okay. And he was urgently needed someone. This was like the 10th of March because I remember he, when I rang this guy, had a chat with him, told him my situation. Look, I am still committing 40, 50 hours a week in the restaurant. He said, look, here's the bottom line, really. I really need someone for next weekend. It's St. Patrick's weekend. Okay, yes. But the Grand Prix is on in Albert Park in Melbourne and it's going to be crazy. You turn and that I was down. just, I was so already ringing yeah. in sick, like, okay, yeah. forget about that. <laughs> yeah. So, and to be fair, I was only a couple of months left, three months left in my job. So the boss was grand, you know, take the weekend off, go and work with these guys, see what you think. And I'll never forget working on that food truck for the first day. And I still chat to the guy, Owen, that run. He has grown it into a very successful business. But the first thing that stood out was 
that it was, there was the menu was three items. It was the most simple thing I'd ever seen, right? So I yeah. showed up, he gave me the real quick rundown. It was called sliders on tires. You basically pick two or three types. I want a lamb and a beef slider or yeah. a treat, so I want a calamari slider. You got six fries with it, like six big chips and a can of San Pellegrino. It was $20. Fabulous. And so people were just queuing up. First yeah. time actually as well, I had seen people tapping, just endlessly just tapping the card. So it was completely stress-free. You know, you're doing fifteen to $18,000 a day wow. at this stage in a completely stress-free environment, six or eight hours. The and simplicity you got the of that menu. I remember you. realizing for the first time, his menu is so simple, the queue's going twice as fast. Yeah. Because there's no waiting around. There's no, oh, what's in this or what's in that. It was a very nice plate. It's so simple. That's it, guys. Take it and go. Thanks. No. And had a brilliant weekend. And then I remember halfway through the Sunday, which was St. Patrick's Day, he said, right, Irish, you're finished now. He just puts this <laughs> VIP badge around my neck. He's like, create a beer. He's like, go on, go and enjoy the rest of the oh day. Right. Guy. So I'm walking around Shout just thinking that was, and getting a nice chunk of change handed over to you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, that he'd day. he'd made a fortune. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah big yeah. time. And so that day, walking around, having a beer, thinking, that guy is on to something here. Like, yeah. look how much we had to put in the work and the effort we had to go to and the rent and the rates that was being paid in the restaurant right. only a few kilometres away. Yeah. And they're not taking that in in a week, like, you know. Yeah. And I didn't realise that at the time, but again, one of them little seeds, the nuggets that was planted. Yeah. I was like, mm. So uh, I ended up just doing the next two months with him as well as kind of cutting back the hours in the restaurant. And yeah. Then I seen him one night, we were doing a party, a 21st party, 21st birthday in this really affluent area in Melbourne and 40 people at the house and DJ and an ice cream truck and we were slinging taco or sliders at the time and at the end of the night Owen was dropping me into the city and I was like just if you don't mind me asking like how much do they pay you for that and he was like oh it's 40 bucks a head you know so they told me there was 50 people and it's 40 bucks a head so it was $2,000 and only 40 showed up and I was like oh so do you get paid less he's like no no well, I mean that's that's it, yeah. That was the rate. And that whole thing, that just stuck with me. I was thinking back to Ireland. Hold on, every party I've been to had lasagna and wedges and stodgy goujons. <laughs> and no one's ever had a cool food truck the, rock The platter up of sausages that comes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then over the next few weeks, again, working with him, he's doing staff appreciation days, all these things. This is going back now six years ago. These things are all only kind of being seen yeah. in Ireland now, I guess, for the first time. So, um, and I didn't mind asking him then the next few months, you know, how much did you charge them for that? And I was taking notes, taking notes on how much it was costing him to be there, how much he was paying us to be there, the produce. Yeah. Um, and one tip he gave me as well was that he had a warehouse kitchen and it supplied, that's where we prepped a lot of the stuff for the food truck, right? Just yeah. pickles and made all the sliders. But he said, if you ever have to pay the rent, rent on a place like this, right, yeah. it's, it's quite a lot. One thing you should do is sweat that asset, like sweat the asset. And I was like, well, what do you mean? as many revenue streams out that door as you can, right? Yeah. So make hot sauce, put two food trucks, three food trucks on the go. They're all paying the same rent. I was like, yeah. oh, right, okay. And that really stuck with me. And later on, down the line, doing pop-up restaurants, thinking, mm, why don't we have a food truck also just going out that yep. way while we're here and stuff, you know? So a great entrepreneur. He went on then to set up Sliders on Tires, three units that are, he's the go-to corporate catering guy in Melbourne. And he now has a Slider Diner, which is like a 200-seater restaurant that just does wings and sliders and milkshakes, Fabulous. you know? So uh, the key takeaway from that is basically the simplicity, the speed, the yep. freshness of everything. I learned a lot from him in terms of how to feed a lot of people and minimize the waste, like at the end of the day. Yeah. That was the first time I had heard, you know, how do you plan to go there if you're not sure how many people? Well, he would say to me, well, I work out how much I want to make, right? How much can I make from that? Let's say it's $2,000. 
I need to sell 200 portions at $10 a piece or whatever. Yeah. You know, he'd say, well, I just bring that and if I sell out, I sell out because I'm happy it. I've made what I wanted to make. And it's a great like, that's so simple, but yeah, no waste. So, um, yeah, that was Melbourne. Great, like, foodie paradise. Yeah. Melbourne is great weather, people, lovely environment. So, so why did you, how did you throw it all in to come back to Ireland? That, I just seen this, <laughs> some sort of gap in the market for, like, actually, Ireland, I think a lot of people probably agree with this. I don't know, but when you're away, somewhere like that, where it is kind of, it's the adrenaline and city life and everything's great. You look back, you think to Ireland and you don't really think of excitement or anything. You miss family, you miss right. the kind of, the crack, you know, the tra- just Best sense of humor in the things, world. But yeah, absolutely. You're kind of thinking, oh, geez, moving home is not, you know, there's no nice, great food options. There's no kind of, yeah. none of this happening there. So I suppose part of that was like, let's try and bring a little bit of this yeah. Back to Ireland, see if it works. You a bit know, of the sunshine, I love. It. And you're always watching. You know, say social media, you're seeing different family members and friends at parties and events. And yeah, the old lasagna is there, and you're like, there has to be something <laughs> to be done here about this. Like, you know, so um, yeah, I think after Melbourne, a few months, four months, or some three or four months in South America as a wee treat for moving home in the first place. Is this where tacos come in? And that's yeah. Well, tacos. It was more that whole just. Definitely the type of food you're seeing over there is yeah. just so, again, simplistic. Like after a football game in what we call the Boca Juniors in Buenos Aires, there's tens of thousands of people everywhere. And next thing, people are just cranking out a little barbecue. All they sell is chori pan, which is like a sausage, real nice, like what we would know as treats. So it's like a fresh treat, so yeah. sausage, bread, chimichurri, $2. Like simple, yeah. quick, grab and go. And these people are actually making a full-time living out of this. Just yeah. So, um, yeah, lots of different types of food. But a big thing, and thinking back to Southeast Asia, is the community vibe. How street food, it's very cliche, but it actually yeah. brings people together. They're out in the street. Whether you're, uh, you know, a big a CEO on a six-figure salary or you're someone who right. is shining shoes on the street, they come together and eat the same taco trucks yeah, at the end of the day or yeah, the same absolutely. kind of street food offerings, you know. So, um some sort of sense of, yeah, kind of equality and everything about that. But the community vibe, and I remember actually having a few beers one night and going to try and buy cigarettes in this wee shop and they're just like, oh no, we close like at 7 p.m. or whatever it was. And I was kind of thinking like the shop door is open. Like would you yeah. not just go in and grab the, but it was that, they were that tight uh, to get, not tight, like, but tight together as a community. It was yeah. like, no, this is our time to sit and eat food and everyone's sharing yeah. rice, wine and whatever it is, you know, and I was just, something really nice about that you know yeah. and it's something we see now when you go into cater parties right when you go to cater an event it's prepaid for right so no one's putting their hand in their pocket but it's the whole try this and oh I've never tried shredded duck you know they're trying it for the first time and talking about the different kind of like people that have never met each other before maybe at a wedding party you know they say, oh have you tried this before and have you tried that and well, it just brings it goes back to that whole yeah. archaeology side right we used to sit and eat together you we know, did yeah around a fire the feasting halls you know, and yeah, exactly around the fire, right yeah. exactly right so, um, all yeah. the, it's so clear to see how all of those pieces have come together to to what you came back and created so tell the tell the listeners what you did when you came back from travelling the idea really for what became Blast a Street Kitchen right was we were on this bus in South America. I was saying this to someone only last week, but like like a 16-hour bus. And I was calling back to Palace Foods. I was waiting for it to be 9 a.m. here so I could ring Palace Foods and ask about the price, like document the price of cheese and tinfoil and gloves and meat and sour <laughs> you're, cream. You're, you're on research from and a bus in South America. Yeah, like 
trying to explain that to the guy on the phone. He's like, what is wrong with you, you know? But um, <laughs> so I have this book and I carry it everywhere. If I don't write stuff in this book, like if I yeah. didn't write that this was on today, I yeah. wouldn't be here today. Like, you know, so I carry that everywhere. And in the book I was writing, you're taking, look, yeah, every little nuggets, what menu items, like so sliders yeah. were going to be on there. Chori pan was going to be on there. Burritos, tacos, and then ringing up and costing out the tortillas, the beef, the rice, the right. cheese, the sour cream, the coriander. Because we've been away now four or five years at that stage and you've lost touch with the price of things. Like, you know, so I'm costing out how much I'm going to have to charge for these things. Um, ringing actually as well, landlords back home to see the price of prep kitchens and stuff like this, right? Yeah. Then on Dundee, looking at secondhand food trailers. Right. I had never driven either. So you're kind of thinking, oh, I'm going to have to get a car. I'm going to have to do a provisional, <laughs> get a provisional license. But that, that should yeah. have been a priority. Yeah, but, but it wasn't as much of a priority as the food prices. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. interest-based uh, priority lists, really, the way we think. But um, so, yeah, just costing all the menus out. Blasta Street Kitchen. I chose the word Blasta because I'm a big advocate of Irish language. But if you originally had written down Bia Street Kitchen, right? Yeah. So the Irish word for food is Bia. Blasta is the Irish word for tasty. But if you show Bia Street Kitchen to someone who doesn't necessarily speak English very well, they would say Baya. By yeah. Street Kitchen, I was like, oh, that's frustrating me now. Can you pronounce this? Blasta. Everyone can kind of say it. It's got yeah. an energy to it as well, I think. Yeah. But the idea was just, look, let's blast the Street Kitchen, set up a wee pop-up restaurant as soon as we get home, literally within days. That'll yep. fund the trailer. We'll put the word out there. We'd already built a social media following through just our adventures and travels and all that kind of thing. And the idea was just shake up that kind of catering scene, you know, get paid yep. in advance as much as possible to go to places, minimise risk, um, and it just, it did, it took off, you know. Um, I had this, you know, it would just be myself and Nikita and maybe someone behind the scenes prepping and helping do yeah. dishes and stuff. And for the first while we were doing everything, dishes, not sleeping basically, like, you know, yeah. but it didn't matter when you're enjoying it that much. You weren't even tired really looking back. It was, it was great buzz. But um, another, you ready for the next seed? Hang on. It's going to be quick. <laughs> But anyway, no, we could skip. We could. We could. I go back to it. I, I just. I just. It's, I just. I want. I want to take a break with the listeners before we get on to the next one because yeah. what Shawnee did when he came back from his travels was turn Blaster Street Kitchen into a twenty-five million euro business. So we're just going to pause there for a second, Shawnee. That came from the Sunday Business Post. Street School. Sorry, that's Street. street school. That's Street School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about the foundations of everything, but I ne I want to get on to, to, to what, how that all accelerated straight after the break. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. Welcome back, everybody. So come on, how did we go from uh, calling someone from a bus in South America to street school, which started, which which raised you, I mean, the Irish Mirror talked about you raising 25 million euro. We don't need to go into your financials. It's just a bit of clickbait. But um, tell me about buying your first food truck. I love this story. And just, it's, it's a bit skewed, to be fair. We set up 140 food trucks. Yeah. Uh, well, 120 at the time and combined their turnover in excess, well in excess of 25 million euros. You it's know, so phenomenal. It's crazy. But anyway, back to, I bought my first trailer, right? And it was a nightmare. I didn't really realise how bad it was at the time, but I had to meet a randomer after loads of failed attempts. I met a randomer in an Aldi car park in Dundalk. <laughs> As I handed you do. over a large amount of cash. I had to get someone to As give me a lift. Do. A stranger basically gave me a lift there because I didn't drive at the time. And... 
I got a farmer to bring me there with his tow bar so we could bring this trailer back. <laughs> and at this stage, I was like, I've spent so much money paying people to drive me around. I'm just going to buy this trailer no matter how bad it is and we'll get painted and we'll whatever. And it didn't Cash look too bad. Cash in the car park at the back of Aldi. Yeah, this is, sounds like the best business deal of all time. On the way home, I was just thinking like, <laughs> how is there not like a car showroom or somewhere I can just go and buy a trailer and talk to people who maybe have knowledge on the logistical running of this type of business. Yeah, and, and by trailer, just explain what you mean. A trailer, well, for me, a drivable food truck, right? Things yeah. like I used to work in when I was 14, they're kind of gone now because they're like 40-foot lurries with huge engines or cost a fortune to run. They're I not mean, I always think about the van, right? You the film, the van, oh, the, van. You know, yeah, the chipper. Yeah. That's the kind of chip van you worked in, See, right? they're not allowed into a lot of places anymore. They're not really regulated. The gas and fuel yeah, emissions yeah, yeah. are crazy, right? Yeah. And they stink and they they're very stink. loud. Yeah. So nowadays, the preference is kind of a trailer that you can hook on, exactly, drop right, off yeah. and stuff. So um, I'm on the way back with this farmer, <laughs> and this trailer on the back and no idea how I'm going to move it from A to B but you've no car and you've no just license just at this moment of thinking well I'd already agreed with this farmer on the way home do you mind if I you know some days I could ring you pay you X amount you pick it up <laughs> drop it there and collect us and he's like oh sure look farmers are busy from 4 in the morning till 7 or 8 in the morning <laughs> right. then they could be free all day and right, then that evening time well this guy was anyway so it kind of suited but um yeah, that day I was driving back thinking, someday if I have more time on my hands, like, why don't we have this? The idea for what is now street school basically was right. born, like how we can supply a trailer, but also all the knowledge that I've accidentally accumulated here over the last two years of painfulness, like setting up a business, costings, yeah. menu planning, branding. And yeah, yeah. um, I didn't realize, like I would deep dive into casual trading licenses, environmental health officers, gas certification, all this boring stuff that yeah. no one, especially not me, wanted to think about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, Blast the Street Kitchen took off, a lot of pain setting it up. But two yeah. or three years in, I found myself, we were expecting our first kid. Yeah, It was like a scale up or get out of there kind of situation. So I decided to scale up and it took a few people to replace Nikita at the time. She's like a graphic designer, front of house, extraordinaire, loves yeah. her food. So I hired people, I hired a business manager at the time and everything was running smoothly enough for me to now go back and focus on this street school concept, right? Excellent. So I set up a supply chain basically where we could get these really bespoke trailers manufactured. Yeah. They weighed 600 kilos, which meant in Ireland, this grey area that I stumbled upon, if it's under 750 kilos in Ireland, anyone can drive a, a trailer, right? Very Just hook it on any vehicle, very yeah. light, move it around. And when they're coming to buy the hardware, I'll sell them the knowledge piece, like the workshops. So we deliver yeah. workshops to startups or business to business for people who are now pivoting from maybe a busy cafe or two cafes to kind of going to their customer now, you know. So right. that was the idea for street school. Like a one-stop shop, and basically. Yeah, a one-stop shop, yeah. as well as running Blast the Street Kitchen. Yeah. We'll try and set up six startups every year for the next five years. I had the, the financials business plan done off the back of it and raised a bit of investment, right, yeah. in January 2020. No talk of COVID or anything <laughs> at the time, right, or any, there was no running through the park and grabbing your coffee and, you sure. know. So, yeah, March 2020 COVID kicks in and next thing the whole thing just exploded like we were getting phone calls from hospitality groups golf courses charities yeah. um, social enterprises a lot of startups a lot of family businesses mothers and daughters brothers sis, like friends that whole thing just exploded yeah. over the next two years we went on to set up now as of today um, it'll be almost three years now about 140 food truck businesses Phenomenal. So everything, every concept you can imagine. Yeah. And we've built up this really nice network of people that we deal with, vendors and everything else. And yeah, so that's basically street school. We have a nice tight team. There's myself, 
Fiona, our graphic designer, who does all the design and artworks for the trailers and customers. And then Tanya, who's our operations manager, who deals with a lot of the day-to-day stuff that I don't get time to do, invoicing and How much do they need stuff, to know, you know coming to you about the branding and everything? I mean, do they have to have a concrete idea? I think everyone you... has that little sketch on the paper moment where yeah, they have right. a name and they have a bit of a romantic idea. And it's just, yeah. in a workshop, we tailor every workshop to them. So let's really analyse their entire idea from the ground up. Is the name suitable? What are they going to... Again, what size is the menu? 24 items. Yeah. Get rid of them. Pick three that are you're comfortable with making and they're going to make you the most money and just do specials rotating to keep your customers interested and stuff, you know. And branding is a big part of it. Of course, yeah. It's just making sure they hit the ground running social media, a landing page for a website and then just teaching them how to get business in in the door basically, you know. So, um, it's 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 so so smart, and I mean, every obviously every business is also about timing. You know, the timing was impeccable. Not that you could have known that, I suppose. But that that is that the business that you went on to get the Young Professional of the Year award for in twenty twenty one. Yeah, we got very yeah we did very well out of the last couple of years. We won the Causeway Irish Scottish Business Congratulations um, award, and we had just kind of done a bit of business over there. Then last year we won the National Enterprise Award. Yes. as well which is brilliant and all those things feed back into the business they get direct it's great you get phone calls straight away people that hadn't heard of us and stuff so the awards are great for well, coverage you've, you've also stuff, just you know. won the, the gold and the national startup awards for your live pitch is that through Dogpatch the Accelerator that you're currently no that was for doing? street school as That's well actually school, yeah, yeah that was very off the cuff now. Last that was only the last month oh my god well it started December that was great <laughs> it was great everything was smooth until about 10 minutes beforehand then I was like oh I need a couple of glasses of wine here but um, no, I was delighted with that, to be honest. Um, some of the caliber of people you're up against, you know, med tech, fintech companies and everything. Yeah. But, but you, Shirley, it you is pitch, easy whenever... You pitch from the heart, right? Yeah, when you, you talk... There's no writing notes and kind of learning stuff yeah. off. You're very confident in the, the solution you're providing, you know. I think that's very quintessential to, to, to a certain type of entrepreneur that they, they're able to just stand and talk about what they do, but that your passion exudes from you, you know, in terms of your energy levels and, and why you do what you do. And I think that's, that's very, very important. I often think the best pitches are the ones that maybe the tech goes wrong and sort of people have to freestyle, like kind of, and they just, you know, they just are themselves. You're, you're a hundred percent authentic. You are, you know, you see what you, what you get on the tin, you are what she says they get on the tin, you know what I mean? Like you, you just are authentically your businesses because you believe in them. What is the uh, downside to all of that? Are you able to switch off from it at all? I mean, you, you're working with Nikita, right? So so how, when you're working with your partner, how does that work for you? Do you have a like nine, after 9pm we don't talk about I it? I think or? people would be surprised like how much, and people that know me would know this, like but how much family time, like time with our kids I get. You yeah. know, because remember these kids are up at half five or six in the morning. I don't have to leave to go to work most days till 10. Yeah. And I'd always try and make a point in being home at five or six in the evening, kind of yeah. have a few hours with them, put them to bed and stuff. And everything in between then is busy. But yeah. then I would have another wee go then at night time from nine to 11 or nine to 12. And that's kind of the, the daytime stuff. Is when what you you're say doing. have another wee go, you mean you're at, back into the business stuff? It's a bit of business, but it's yeah. a bit of like, you wouldn't believe the wee side hustle. Like I have <laughs> other things going on as I, well. I, I know some of them. I, I wouldn't believe half of them. I still I'm treat sure. most of the business side of things like your nine to five and then you have your five to nine night kind of stuff. So like I'm important and selling like sustainable kids toys and balance boards and all sorts of Does Nikita ever go, that's you know? enough now? I don't tell her about that type of thing. Jesus, you can joke me. Um, but no, that is, like it is, yeah. She would it's be a like, compulsion, right? Sure, this is a... 
It's a, a good, good idea, and you, look, I think it is, but I can't guarantee it's going to be a good idea. But you also, know? you fail fast, like you get in, you um, get in quickly, and you don't have that sense about you of like it's it's ever going to be the end of the world. It's going to be like it's fine. I'm all like Gary Vee's. You're on your feet. Yeah, you know like just like, try it. If it fails, all the, all the better. Like you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Talk to us about Manadrone. What are you doing with them? Uh, well, Manadrone delivery, not so much now, but for a year, their solid year, basically we worked directly with Manadrone. I suppose if you think of drone delivery, the solution that we can provide is that it makes sense to build infrastructure around the drones, right? Yeah. So you can't have every restaurant in Dublin having its own 30, 40, 50,000 euro drone and landing pad, right? Right. So when I first met Bobby, we had the flexibility to offer, look, we can build a few food truck concepts up there around this and see what yeah. works, what doesn't work. And um, we were very flexible. I just really wanted to work with them. So I was like, look, let's try it. I'm open to, let's try 12 yeah. to 6 p.m. Let's try 3 to 9 p.m. In the end, I think it was like 2 to 7 p.m. is the best kind of hours to work and stuff, you know. So um, basically we were just offering straight, it was in Balbriggan, um, different street food options for what's going to work, what's not going to work. And um, it was definitely gave me the itch to find out more about technology and tech, yeah. which leads you into the next kind of thing I'm working on. But great. It's just an inspiring thing. This, I was following it for a year over an hour and more. Yeah, and then when Christ. I heard they were coming to Balbriggan, I was, this is a perfect opportunity yeah. here to work with these guys, you know. So, um, and yeah, I, I think they was, I think they have a deal with Ben and Jerry's, which is super exciting to have your ice yeah, cream delivered yeah. to your house by drone. It's they were able to get tacos, Ben and Jerry's, a liter of milk, all delivered to their house in three minutes, like oh, you know. So I love it. So t- tell me about tech then, because you are yeah. moving into a new area at the moment. Yeah, something I started on middle of last year is basically, as we all know, street food still has this kind of weird trust issue around it. It's a grey area, kind of yeah. a bit taboo. The older generation think of, as we talked about, the chip fans that I used to work in, like not. Yeah. And compliance is a big problem for both the vendor and also from the government side of things. So waste yeah. a lot of resources and time trying to chase vendors. It's very hard to locate them as well. So um, what we're doing basically is building a platform that will streamline the compliance that's required with street food. So and this the licenses, isn't just like a national, the hygiene certs, all of that. Yeah, there's really five main pillars of compliance and yeah. it's all still paper-based. So every event you do, every yeah. council pitch you apply for, someone is in the receiving end chasing you up for four, five, six, seven documents, piece yeah, of paper, yeah. print it, scan it, put it in the filing cabinet and work kind out of to solve that problem. I think as a whole, it will build a lot of legitimacy around the industry. Yep. And this is a global problem, like it's crazy. So um, it'll build trust between the consumer and the vendor, yeah. who will they'll have full transparency of how compliant this person is as such. And it'll save a lot of resources for private event organizers like Electric Picnic, uh, council, government bodies and stuff. Yeah. It'll make chasing paperwork a lot easier and sending and receiving the compliance Again, pieces. you know, that And advice. that was definitely inspired by working with the likes of Mana, you know, and then yeah. hearing about Dogpatch Labs for the first time, the Founder Weekend, Accelerator programs. And there's never been a time, I suppose, where you don't have to actually even understand tech in a sense, yeah. to try and build a successful tech business, you know. It's problem solving so, and you can hire people who understand the tech side of things. Yeah, I've got a co-founder in yeah. this company who's very, she's a perfect fit basically for where we're at. I'm the kind of inverted Ideas. commas subject matter expert over here and what we know in this industry. Yeah. And then she's able to really speak speak both languages, as I say, like of the business and the, the computer science behind it and stuff, you know. So very cool. that's what we're working on. 
That's all I'll say for now. <laughs> Watch this space. But it's on a LinkedIn as Verify a Vendor, so we're leaking out little bits of information and stuff about That's, it at the minute. But again, that advice you had of stay yeah. in your lane is 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 really, really pertinent. So come on, I yeah. have to ask you, what's the story? We've got three minutes before we have to end. What's the story with mushrooms? <laughs> Just mushrooms, quickly pitch yeah. that one. <laughs> um, so a friend of mine started a mushroom-based startup a few years ago and... <laughs> I knew that it would become something, but I suppose... Are these medicinal mushrooms? One thing I've got good at over the years is decide, like, be as tight with your time as possible. So I'm like, yeah. Sean, that's a great product. He's also Sean. Yeah. And um, I think it'll be great, but like, I can only help you when it gets to the stage that you've got all the boring, the nutritional information, the labeling, the branding, everything's done. Yeah, yeah. And then what I've got it is opening doors and getting it on shelves and getting people What's to talk called? about it. So it's called Mushmore. Mushmore. And we're from Onan. Yeah. Biggest mushroom producer. Monhin Mushrooms is actually the biggest uh, mushroom grower in the world. No way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's basically a functional mushroom product. Seven exotic uh, mushrooms powdered. Yeah. And and there's and a lot about the medicinal properties of mushrooms at the moment. In a lot the of the, yeah. yeah, a lot of products out there focus too much on the nutritional end yeah. and not enough on the flavor. And this kind of marries the two of them together. So Mushmore is... I love the name. Yeah, mushmore.com. Go on there and cool. get yourself some mushroom powder. It's only eight fifty, guys. Price of a pint in Temple Bar. <laughs> mushroom so, powder for enhanced yeah. focus. Um, oh, there's, I, I'm sure there's a thousand more things we could talk about, but I just for anyone listening who's just like got an idea um, and just wants to make it happen, how would what advice would you give them? Just reach out to us at Street School. We're very active. Uh, I'm personally very active on LinkedIn, but also the Instagram. Just ask the questions and we've, it's literally never been easier or so more affordable. So Street School is S-T-R-E-A-T. Yeah, street, yeah. like eat. Yeah. So yeah, just reach out, ask us the questions and we can share what's worked, what hasn't worked for people. And it just, again, it kind of, I get excited by helping other people because it's given them, and we're seeing it now, a couple of our customers are now in their third year of business it's given yeah. them the financial freedom that we talked about earlier that kind yeah. of you can see them buzzing they get time together as family or friends yeah they can look you can take a month off and you're not saving lives like you know it's not yeah, yeah. it doesn't have the same commitment or overheads as a bricks and mortar premises like if you walk by a restaurant today and it's closed that's it it's yeah. a bit strange looking you know whereas yeah. it's just it's flexible it's a nice industry I like it um, and we have a great network of people that can help you out and yeah, just reach out to us basically. If it's something you're really serious about, do a workshop and you can do it without forking out a load of money. We have yeah. fina really flexible finance options and different things, you know. What's the customer food things. truck fully wrapped and branded? Uh, we sell, yeah, we include the wrapping. Um, yeah. So I feel like the branding piece is so important. We include that bit for free in the trailer. So you're talking about 11,000 euro plus VAT will get you a fully branded trailer ready to go as in you just plug in your equipment whether it's crepe machines or coffee machine or deep fryers or whatever it is you yeah. know so we get you to the point where we literally can't do any more for you and we turn it around in seven days as well by the way that's wow yeah we have a, a couple of competitors that focus on the sale of the hardware as such and it can be three months lead time you know so very it's good. nice getting a phone call of someone who's really excited just saying no look I just want to do this now you we'll can have it in a week how quick do you want it yeah that basically. is so from bonbons to street trailers and everything in between this has just yeah. been an absolute blast surely I feel like I'm on an episode this is your life you know what the big red I just got a flash by the big red book you're an no, absolute your superstar and thank you so much for doing this and I have no doubt in my mind that you're going on to a thousand more things so I wish you success and, and luck with all of those but it's been an absolute blast thank you thanks Melian until next time